Welcome to the Locust Valley Chapel Sermon Podcast. Our mission as a church is to help you discover, develop, and demonstrate life with Jesus. For more information about our church, you can visit our website, locustvalleychapel.org. We pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to you and minister to you in a powerful way as you listen to Sunday's message. If you have a Bible this morning, you want to follow along. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is a long chapter. It's 48 verses long. We're not going to read all 48 verses. What I'm going to do is I'm going to summarize the first 25 or or 30 or so, and then um, we'll really kind of spend most of our time in the the last uh, verses 29 to 48. So in the first eight verses of chapter 10, we meet a man named Cornelius. He's a centurion, which means he's a soldier in charge of about 100 men. He and his family are described as being devout and God-fearing, which was a way of basically describing Gentiles. A Gentile is just somebody who's not Jewish in those days. And it's a way of describing Gentiles who were attracted to Judaism, but they hadn't taken the final steps in becoming a full convert. So they believed in this one God uh, that, the, that the Jewish people believed in, but again, they, they hadn't gone all the way like into being circumcised and following the law. So Cornelius has this vision where he sees an angel who tells him to send men to Joppa and find Peter, who we learned last week was staying at the home of Simon the Tanner. And then in verses 9 to 22, Peter also has a vision. He's gone up on the roof to pray. While he's praying, he, he falls into a trance and he sees this large sheet with all these four-footed animals, reptiles, and birds. And this voice tells him to get up, to kill, and to eat. And Peter says, surely not, Lord, for I've never eaten anything unclean. The voice says, don't call anything impure that God has made clean. That happens three times. While Peter was thinking about the the meaning of this vision, Cornelius' men show up to the house. The Holy Spirit tells Peter to go with them. And Peter gets up, goes with them, and when he gets to Cornelius' house, he basically says, may I ask, why have you sent for me? And that brings us to verse 30. Cornelius answered, Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour, at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. Send to Joppa for Simon, who is called Peter. He is a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. That's a great way to go to church, isn't it? To come into the presence of the Lord, just say, God, what do you want to tell us this morning, Lord? Verse 34, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. I want to talk today about Lord of all discipleship. 
Lord of all discipleship. And before we kind of dive into what that is and what it looks like, I just want to point out that here again in Acts chapter 10, we actually have a picture of Lord of all discipleship, but we also have this beautiful picture, just like we saw last week, of how God uses his chosen instruments to accomplish his kingdom work in the world. The angel in Cornelius' vision could have told him everything that Peter is about to tell him. But instead, Jesus chooses to do his kingdom work through his body, through his church, through his chosen instruments like Peter and like you and like me. Cornelius says, we're here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And Peter lays out the good news of Jesus in a way that's similar to some of his previous sermons, but in a way that also helps us to understand and apply Lord of all discipleship to our lives. And so I want to start this morning with a a definition of discipleship. What is discipleship? A disciple is simply a a learner, a a student, someone who learns from someone else. And there are many good definitions that people have come up with for discipleship. For example, Dallas Willard. He said a disciple is a person who has decided that the most important thing in their life is to learn how to do what Jesus said to do. He said a disciple is not a person who has things under control or knows a lot of things. Disciples are simply people who are constantly revising their affairs to carry through on their decision to follow Jesus. I I like that definition. That's a deep, that emphasizes this sort of ongoing nature of discipleship. How we're never really finished until either we die or until Jesus returns for us. Whichever one comes first. Let me give you another definition. Jeff Vanderstelt says this. He says, discipleship is an ongoing process of submitting all of your life to Jesus And seeing him saturate your entire life and world with his presence and his power. Which is to say that there there are no aspects, no areas of our life that Jesus doesn't want to impact. Or in Vanderstelt's definition, saturate with his presence and with his power. And we see this when Peter starts telling his listeners about this good news about Jesus. He starts where all Lord of all discipleship always starts with. He starts with who Jesus is. Verse 36, you know the message God sent to the people of Israel. Announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of Now, there's a lot of things we could say about who Jesus is. He's the Son of God. He is God incarnate, the Prince of Peace, the Good Shepherd. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. All kinds of things. But against the backdrop of a Roman Empire, where Cornelius is serving as a centurion in a culture that believed in many gods, and where the emperor himself claimed to be a god and claimed to be Lord of all, Peter makes this just immense statement. I don't think we could grasp the fullness of it, what they would have heard when he said it, but he makes a statement about who Jesus is. He says, Jesus, not Caesar, Jesus, not all these other gods that the culture worships, Jesus is Lord of all. That word Lord in the New Testament comes from a Greek word that basically describes one who possesses power, authority, and control. 
One who demands absolute loyalty. So that simple phrase, Jesus is Lord of all, it means not only is he Lord for all, like some, so Peter that now understands this, he says God doesn't show favoritism. He accepts from every nation those who fear him, those who put their trust in him, those who do what is right. But it also means that Jesus is Lord above all, which is a direct challenge to all of the other idols, all of the other gods that we set up and worship and serve and submit to, including ourselves, in an attempt to make our lives work the way we want them to work. So Jesus is Lord of all means that, that who Jesus is and what Jesus does should influence every part of our life, every fiber of our beings, which is why what Jesus does is the next thing that Peter talks about. He starts with who Jesus is. He's Lord of all, but then he goes directly into what Jesus does. Verse 37, you know what has happened throughout the province of Judea. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power. And how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. We are witnesses of everything he did in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They killed him by hanging him on a cross but God raised him from the dead on the third day and caused him to be seen. This is almost like a summary of what Jesus did. We, we could go on and on, read the Gospels, all kinds of stuff there. But this is sort of the summary to give us a visible picture of, of what God is like by sharing what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? He went around doing good. He welcomed sinners. He ate with them. He healed. He cast out demons. He demonstrated for his followers how we should live and what we should do if we want to be like him. We'll talk more about that in a minute. And then most importantly, Jesus surrendered his life for us. He allowed himself to be put to death on a cross to accept the penalty that we deserved. He laid down his life willingly. Remember when he told his disciples when he's being arrested? Peter's chopping off the ear of the soldier that was coming to arrest him. He said, put your sword away. He says, do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. There was nobody going to force Jesus to do anything that he didn't want to do. He goes on to say, but how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In John chapter 10, when Jesus was talking about being the good shepherd, he says in verses 17 and 18, he says, I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. What was Jesus doing? He was demonstrating God's love for us. 
Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He was taking what we deserved on himself so that we can be reconciled to God, so that we can have a relationship with God. Jesus dies for our sins, but he doesn't just die. Peter says God raised him from the dead on the third day, caused him to be seen. And so Romans 5.10 says this, for if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Through his life. So who Jesus is and what Jesus does changes the very nature of who we are when we put our faith and trust in him. Which is the next thing that Peter talks about. He says in verse 42, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. All the prophets testify about him that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. We are forgiven when we put our faith and trust in Jesus. We, we are new creations. We get a fresh start. We get a new family. In fact, Peter doesn't even get a chance to finish what he's saying when we get to verse 44. He's in the middle of speaking, and it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Didn't have to coax it. Didn't have to, didn't have to try to force it to happen. Peter's just telling them this good news about who Jesus is, what Jesus does, what we, who we are when we receive Jesus, and boom, the Holy Spirit just comes on all. And we know from Romans 8 what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit adopts us into God's family. So these people who are listening, they're believing, and the Holy Spirit comes. He adopts us into God's family, and then he testifies that we are God's children. And who we are now as God's children, we're no longer God's enemies. We're his children. That should impact everything we do, which Jesus gives us a few examples of in verses 42 to 43, where he says, he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Now, don't get taken aback by that word preach. We, we think that preaching is only doing what I'm doing right now. That word preach, it just means to tell or to proclaim openly something that's been done. It's just telling people about the good news about Jesus. And the word testify is this compound word in the Greek that comes from the word dia, which means on account of or because of, and the word martero, which means witness or testimony. So Lord of all discipleship means because of who we are, we proclaim and we testify to who Jesus is and what Jesus has done the same way he did it. How did he do it? By deed. And by word. He lived it and he spoke it. And so if you put this all together, we might say something like this. Lord of all discipleship happens as we seek to continually understand and apply who Jesus is, what Jesus does, who we are, and what we do to every aspect or to all of our lives. Cornelius 
is a good example of someone entering into this Jesus, Lord of all discipleship here in Acts chapter 10. We read in verses 30, 31 that responding to Peter's question, he, he tells him, three days ago, I'm in my house praying at this hour at three in the afternoon. Suddenly a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, Cornelius, God has heard your prayer and remembered your gifts to the poor. So see, Cornelius' vision, it starts with who God is and what God does. God is a God who hears. God is a God who speaks. He says, send to Joppa for Simon, who's called Peter. He's a guest in the home of Simon the Tanner, who lives by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. Notice, what Cornelius does is in response to who God is and what God was doing. Right? God is a God who hears, and God is a God who speaks. And Cornelius is just responding to who God is and what God's doing in that moment. God is speaking. God is telling him through this angel to go and send, or to send people to go for Peter. So he responds immediately and he sends people to find Peter. And it was good of you to come, Cornelius says. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. And, and, and what does Peter tell him? Tells him the good news of Jesus. Begins with who Jesus is. He's Lord of all. Tells him what Jesus does and what Jesus has done. He announces good news. He, he brings healing. He dies on a cross. Three days later, he raises from the dead. He tells him about who we are in light of what Jesus does. We're forgiven. The Holy Spirit comes on all those who heard his message. Makes them sons. Makes them daughters. And in verse 48, we read that Peter ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days, which I believe was so that they could learn more from Peter about this Lord of all discipleship that they just entered into. What does this look like? How do we live this out? They want to learn more. And so in one sense, Acts chapter 10 is about the conversion of Cornelius and the conversion of these other Gentiles who were hearing Peter's message about Jesus. But you know, in another sense, it's also about the, the conversion of Peter. I'm not talking about Peter's initial conversion to faith in Jesus. I'm talking about his ongoing conversion that every follower of Jesus goes through as they continue to bring more and more of their life under this lordship of Jesus Christ. See, conversion simply means a change in character, form, or function. That's what conversion is. So we like to talk about conversion when we first put our faith and trust in Jesus, and that is a conversion put our faith and trust in Jesus, we become, we move from being enemies of God to being sons and daughters of God. There is conversion that happens there, but then there's ongoing conversion as we are changing in character and form and function, becoming more like Jesus Christ, submitting more of our lives to this Lord of all discipleship. So in verse 9, Peter has gone up on the roof to pray, and he has this vision of a sheet with four corners. Four corners, by the way, in the Bible usually is used to describe the entire earth. And on that sheet, there's all kinds of four-footed animals, reptiles, birds, many of which were considered off-limits according to the law that was given by Moses. And so when the voice tells him, get up, Peter, kill and eat, Peter says, surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. His mind seems to be made up. But the voice speaks to him a second time and says, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Notice where this vision is going really quickly. It's going to who God is. 
and what God's done. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happens three times. And in verse 15, it says Peter begins to wonder about and think about the vision. And by the time he gets to Cornelius' house, a transformation has taken place. Peter begins by saying, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. Who God is, what God has done, has begun to impact who Peter is and what Peter does. And in verse 34 and 35, we read Peter saying, I now, I now realize. See, something's changed. A conversion's taken place. He's gone from one form to another. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what's right. How did Peter realize this? He, he ran it through the grid of who Jesus is, what Jesus has done, who we are, and what we do in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. So if God does not show favoritism, but he accepts people from every nation, then Peter should be like God, and he should do the same in both belief and practice. Uh, Jeff Vanderstelt, in his book, Gospel Fluency, he writes this. He writes, over the years, I've learned to ask four key questions in progressive order when forming people in the gospel. Number one, who is God? That's where we started. Who is Jesus? Number two, what has God done, which reveals who God is? Number three, who am I in light of God's work? And number four, how should I live in light of who I am? He goes on to write, I encourage people to apply these questions to their Bible study and to all of their discipleship processes. I do this because we all do what we do because of what we believe about who God is, what God has done, who we are in Christ or apart from Christ. The roots of our faith produce the fruit of our life. Lord of all discipleship is lived out when Jesus informs and transforms every aspect of our life. It happens when we run everything through this grid of who Jesus is, what Jesus does, who we are in light of what he does and has done, and what we should do in light of who we are because of what he has done. That's what Cornelius did. That's what Peter did. Both were converted. Both were transformed. Now, before we take a few minutes to actually practice this before we leave, I want to share, I think, three just really quick lessons that we learn from Acts chapter 10 about making this Lord of all discipleship become a reality in our lives. So it's not just a slogan that we say. We don't want to just say, Jesus is Lord. We actually want to make it a reality in our life. And if we want to do that, then the first thing I think we learn from this passage is we need to position ourselves to receive from God. We need to position ourselves to receive from God, and we need to make this one of our ongoing habits. You see, both Cornelius and Peter positioned themselves to receive from God, in this case, through prayer. Cornelius, according to verse 3, 
and verse 30, he was praying at three in the afternoon. How many remember in Acts chapter three, what time of day it was when Peter and John were going up to the temple? It was three in the afternoon, right? It was their time, the, it was called the time of prayer. It was a regular habit, a regular practice. And it sure appears that Cornelius had adopted this rhythm in his life as well. He made it a habit of positioning himself before God to pray. And prayer is one of the primary disciplines or primary practices that help us position ourselves to receive from God, provided that we're not the ones doing all the talking. Because if we're doing all the talking, it's kind of hard to receive what God wants to give us. And so in this example, Cornelius receives a vision. Now, that doesn't mean that every time we position ourselves, every time we pray, we're going to receive a vision. Prayer doesn't control God. Prayer positions us to receive his grace. Grace means it's entirely up to him what that grace will look like. And so listen, I just want to say this, like we should never feel bad. We should never feel like something's wrong with us if we're positioning ourselves to receive from God and we're not seeing these Cornelius-type visions or Peter-type visions. Like sometimes God does this, but if he doesn't, it's not, it's not because of you. It could just be that he's choosing not to, to give you grace like that. It could be that you're actually missing another way that he's trying to pour his grace out on you because you're so focused on what he's not doing. Peter also positioned himself to receive from God. Verse 9 says he went up to the roof, probably because it was a little quieter. Remember where he's staying, at the home of Simon the Tanner. What do tanners do? They work with dead animals. They make leather. It's, it's noisy. It's stinky. It's, it, so he's, he goes up to the roof. And then I love the little detail that Luke adds here in verse 10. It says, Peter became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. I don't know about you, but for me, it's good to know that Peter was human. That he got distracted when he prayed too. I mean, he got hungry and he fell into a trance. A trance is just this like half-conscious state. His hunger was getting the best of him. But God met him in that place. How many ever find yourself getting distracted when you pray? How many of you ever get hungry when you pray, or you get tired when you pray, or you fall asleep when you pray, like the disciples did in the Garden of Gethsemane? You know what that means? It means you're human. It means you're human. It doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. There's hum you're human, and the good news is God meets us in our humanity. Peter got hungry, and it was in that place of hunger that he fell into this trance, and he saw that sheep being lowered down with all the different kind of animals. So if we want to root ourselves in who Jesus is, what Jesus does, and have that shape who we are and what we do, we need to have some sort of practices in our lives that position us to receive from God. And prayer is just one of them. Second, I think we need to practice this, this idea of pondering or thinking or reflection. This is something that takes intentionality. So often we just kind of read something or listen to something, and we don't take the time to actually think, reflect, ponder. What does this really mean? So like when you're thinking about who Jesus is, take time to really ponder that. What does it mean? This is who Jesus is. What does that mean for me? 
If this is what Jesus does, what does that mean for me? If this is what I'm reading in the Bible, what does this mean to me? If this is what I'm feeling or sensing in prayer, what does this mean to me? Verse 17 says, Peter's wondering about the meaning of the vision. The English Standard Version translates it like this. It says, he was inwardly perplexed as to what this vision might mean. Verse 19 says Peter was still thinking about the vision. The ESV says he was pondering the vision when the Holy Spirit spoke to him. And so we find, when we find ourselves in a, in a, a situation where, where, where we want to surrender to Jesus or where we're perplexed or where we're, we're, we're sort of wondering because he's Lord of all, we want to we bring everything under him, we need to ponder what he's revealing to us about who he is and what he does or maybe what he's doing. And then it helps, to, that'll help us to process and to, to bring all aspects of life under this Lord of all discipleship. And then finally, we need to practice Lord of all discipleship. Notice Peter doesn't just change his belief, he changes his actions. He lives out his belief that's been changed as a result of seeing who God is and what God does. You hear in verse 28 and 29 where he says, it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I shouldn't call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent, I came without raising any objection. Notice his practice was changed by his belief. The roots of his faith were impacting the fruits of his faith. He was doing what he was doing because of who Jesus is and what Jesus did and who he was in light of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. So here's what I want to do today in our last three or four minutes. What I want us to do is I want to practice this Lord of all discipleship right now. I want every one of us, we're just going to take a few minutes. We're going to give God some space. And I want us to, I want you to think of a, a situation that you're going through right now. Maybe a question that you have right now. Maybe a, a relationship that's not going well right now. Maybe an area of your life that you're struggling with. Maybe something that you, you're sensing maybe God is calling you to surrender to and bring it under his lordship. And what I want us to do is I want us to just take a few minutes and I want us to, to walk through these four areas. Who Jesus is, what Jesus does, who we are in light of what Jesus has done and what we should do in light of who we are. And I just want to just use this as an example for how this really works in every situation. And now if we bring every situation through these four questions, we'll find ourselves more and more in line with the Lordship of Jesus, with this all Lord of all discipleship. So if you just close your eyes with me, I'm going to invite the Holy Spirit to just show us what he wants us to work through. And then we'll just take these questions one at a time. And we just want to be listening for what he might be saying to us. So Holy Spirit, you are way better than I am at this, way better than anybody else in the room is at this. And by this, I mean revealing who you are, what you're like. And so right now, I'm just going to ask that you'd be really, really kind to us and really, really gracious to us. And you would bring to mind something that we're going through right now that we can process and bring under the Lordship of Christ. So that might be a struggle that we're having right now. Might be a sin that we, we can't seem to get rid of. 
might be a relationship that just seems hopeless or needs fixing, might be a question that we're struggling with, might be a point of pain that we're going through, might be, might be some sort of suffering. Whatever it is, Lord, you bring something to mind. And then I pray we wouldn't argue with you, we wouldn't filter, we would just take that, what you're bringing to mind, and we'd sit with it for a minute. And then we'd start with a question, who, who is Jesus? We learn from this text that you are Lord of all. So you are Lord over that situation that we're struggling with. Maybe that relationship, maybe that suffering, maybe that pain. Or maybe, Holy Spirit, you want to reveal something else about who Jesus is to us. That he's the good shepherd, wonderful counselor, almighty God, prince of peace the way, the truth, the light, or any of the other number of scriptures that reveal clearly who Jesus is. And so keeping that situation in mind, let's invite the Holy Spirit to help us reflect on what Jesus has done and what he does. that Jesus demonstrated the love of God in this. While we were still sinners, he willingly gave up his life and died for us so that we would have peace with God and so that we could have peace with others, so that we can love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and so that we can love our neighbors as ourselves. And in addition to that, Jesus does good. He heals. He removes shame. He does all kinds of things that lead to our deliverance, that lead to our healing. And so, Holy Spirit, what do you want us to see about what Jesus does or what maybe Jesus is even doing in this situation? that you brought to our minds. And then before we jump to what we're actually doing in the situation we're in, Lord, help us to sit with this identity question, this who we are in light of what Jesus has done. We're no longer our past. We're not our mistakes. We're not our sin. We're not our failures. We're not our shortcomings. Because of who Jesus is and what he has done, when we put our faith and trust in him, we are sons of God. We are daughters of God. Think about that, church. The Spirit himself testifies to who we are. So in light of who we are, what is Jesus inviting us to do? Not in and of ourselves, not on our own strength, not on our power. Remember, he sends his spirit to us. What is Jesus inviting us to do in that situation we're in? 
in that question we have, in that relationship, in that sin, whatever it is, what is he inviting us to do in light of who we are in order to bring one more aspect of our life under this Jesus is Lord of all discipleship. And then in response to whatever he is revealing to you about what he's inviting you to do, the question is, will you do it? Will you be like Cornelius? Will you be like Peter? And apply who Jesus is, what Jesus does, who you are, what you do because of who Jesus is and what Jesus does to the situation you're going through. Thank you for listening to the Locust Valley Chapel Sermon Podcast. We trust that the Holy Spirit spoke to you and ministered to you during this time. I want to invite you to join us for one of our weekend services. We worship God together on Sundays at 9 and 11 a.m. in Coopersburg, Pennsylvania. You can find more information at our website, locustvalleychapel.org, as well as our YouTube and Facebook page. Thank you for joining us. Thank you.